Welcome to a new year. It's going to be great. Excited? I think I'm kind of loud, Brad. I don't want to blow these students out of the water here. Um, anyways, I had a great new year, a great Christmas. I hope that you did as well. But I was just missing fellowship with you guys. And uh, I told some of the students that how proud I am of how you, the high schoolers, have led, especially on the first Wednesdays of the month. Many of you are faithful to come to prayer nights. And I, man, last Wednesday was just awesome. It was awesome to hear the testimonies of so many people in our church and to pray together as a church. And if you had, could go to all Sundays and could only come to one Wednesday night, I would say go to prayer night. Honestly, it is the most important service that we do outside of Sunday worship. And I just want to commend those of you that have been faithful to that. It's been awesome. Um, we've even had students get saved at prayer, uh, at prayer night. And so um, it's just a powerful evening. Well, I'm excited to jump into a new sermon series tonight through 1 Kings 1 through 11 on the rise and fall of King Solomon. And actually in this picture, that is modern day Israel. So, and that's the Temple Mount right there. So you go there, that's uh, where the temple would have been, where Solomon built it. It's pretty awesome. Has anyone been to Israel before? Anyone here? Okay, maybe someday you'll get lucky. I haven't, so maybe we'll go together. That'd be really fun. Um, tonight, the title of my sermon, the title of my sermon is The Gospel According to First Kings. The Gospel According to First Kings. And it's kind of going to be an overview to give you the context of this book. And I want to start off by asking a question. What is your, one of your favorite fictional stories of all time? It could be a movie. It could be a book. It could be a trilogy. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him, what is your favorite story? What would be your go-to story right now? How about this? It could be nonfiction as well. If you've got a nonfiction, true story. All right. Ten seconds. Nine. Eight, seven, six, five, four. All right. See, a lot of you. Look at that. Look at that. A lot of stories. A lot of favorite non-fictional stories. People are getting hyped. I see some, some of you are still, you're very passionate. You're still talking about it. Some of you were getting in fights right there. No, it's, it's Harry Potter. No, it's Lord of the Rings. Right? And you're about to just, you're just, yeah. You're just about to, to dish it out right there. No, it's Marvel. Right? We all have favorite stories. Why is that? Why, why is it that some, some of these stories, popular stories, mean so much to us? Why do we connect with them so well? Why is it that after I saw the new Spider-Man, it was the topic of conversation wherever I went? Especially that line about youth pastors. I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> I won't spoil it. But we love to talk about and share stories with others. We're shaped by them. We're moved by them. We're drawn into them. We can relate to them. I think the most, the stories that have a redemptive ending, which the best ones always do, are the ones that captivate us the, the most. And for the next few months, we're going to be looking at a non-fictional story. So a true story. And this story is filled with drama, family drama for sure, deceit, manipulation, backstabbing, power, Popularity, violence, money, sex, success, kingdoms, kings. It's gnarly. This, it's, it's, and redemption. It's going to be, it, it's, 
It sounds like a book that would sell today. It'd be like, you know, you see an ad for it coming out November. I don't know. You know, like all these themes here. And it would, it, it would probably sell on the New York best time seller list. But you won't find this story there. You won't find it on the shelves at Target or your favorite bookstore or on Amazon. This is a story found in God's inspired word in the book of 1 Kings. Well, I guess you could find a Bible at, at those places. So. But this is the true story of the rise and fall of King Solomon. The rise and fall of King Solomon. 11 chapters in 1 Kings. Now, before we launch into that drama, that story, my goal tonight is to take you on a hot air balloon ride. All right? And so we are going to hop into this hot air balloon and we're going to float up 30,000 feet and we're going to get a awesome picture of the whole story of the Bible and how I want to answer the question how first Kings this book fits into the grand story of scripture now you got to think of the Bible this way the Bible is one story it's it's a 66 book trilogy and first Kings is book 11 okay so usually when you're reading a trilogy or whatever, you don't start in the middle, right? So I want to give you an overview so that you're not lost when you're going through the book. Does that make sense? So let's raise up here 30,000 feet and answer the question. How does 1 Kings, or First and Second Kings, and King Solomon fit into the larger story of the Bible? And the more important question, why does it matter for you? Why does, why does it matter for you? That's important. Otherwise, he's just lecturing about the Bible. It doesn't matter. But the Bible is relevant. It's applicable. And I want to answer this question by looking at three points. Three points. The good news of the Bible, the good news in 1 Kings, and the good news for me. Okay? So the first one is the good news of the Bible. The highest point. Where What is the Bible all about? What is its message, its theme, the climax? If someone were to come up to you and to say, hey, man, you're a Christian. You read the Bible. Yeah, I read the Bible. I you know, I start these reading plans at the beginning of the year, and then I fall off when I get to Leviticus. But, you know, I, I know the Bible. I've been there. Don't worry. <laughs> what is the Bible about, they ask? How would you summarize it? Well, the gospel, I said the good news of the Bible. So the, the gospel really is the good news. And the Bible is a message of good news from, it's about God the creator and redeemer to mankind. That's, it's a message of good news, really. But the story of the Bible can be summarized, this good news can be summarized in four words. Okay, so all you got to do is remember four words here, and you'll understand the whole story of the Bible. And those four points starts with, uh, is creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Okay, starting with creation, what is the Bible about? Well, we learn first that God created the earth, and he created it good. And he created all the living creatures, and he created man to rule over these creatures. And he created man and woman, and he performed a wedding in Genesis 2. And there was no sin, there was no corruption. And they were to multiply and spread God's garden to all the earth. And that garden was a picture and creation of God dwelling with man. So God creates the earth, he creates man so that man may worship God and they may dwell together in, perfect, in a perfect relationship. And in that perfect relationship, God tested the man. He said, I've given you everything. I love you so much, you could have it all. But one thing, 
One thing I ask you not to do is, is to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Show me that you love me by not eating that. Well, man, if he would obey God, he would enter into eternal life. He's in a state of innocence, not glorification, which we learned last sermon series. He would enter in eternal, into eternal life along with all of his offspring. But if he fails, he will die. Creation. He created a good, but then there's this test. And that leads us, so what happened? The fall. The fall happened. Man, Adam, well, Eve, really, but Adam was supposed to be the head of the family. He was supposed to take dominion, subdue the earth. He was supposed to keep watch, but he's a passive man off to the side. And there's Eve being tempted by the serpent who Adam was supposed to take dominion of and cut the head of the snake off, but he didn't do it. And so Satan tempts Eve, and Eve isn't just innocent. Adam and Eve rebel against God. They commit high treason against God, their king and their father. And sin enters into the world. And because of their sin, sin and death spread to all of their offspring. Why is there brokenness in the world? What's the problem? Why is there hatred? Why is there all, all these things going on? Why is there sickness? Why do friends... Uh, become enemies. Why is there wars? It's because of sin. The fall. The fall happened. And so Adam and Eve, they sin against God and God visits them in the garden and they try to clothe themselves with leaves. They try to cover themselves with their good works, right? That's pretty much what they're doing. And then that doesn't work and God comes and then they hide from him. And then when God confronts them, they say it was their fault. They blame. They play the victim, which is what everyone loves to do today. Just blame. They blame. And so God has, because he's just, he has to punish sin. So he gives a curse. And as he curses, the first person he curses is Satan. And within that curse in Genesis 3.15, we hear the first trumpet blast of redemption, of good news. And so in the middle, so you could see, you know, you probably remember this as a kid. You got in trouble. Like I have a couple siblings and one of the siblings is just getting reprimanded. And we're just setting off to the side like, I'm next, right? So Adam and Eve, you can just see, they're just, they're like, I'm next. God is like cursing the serpent and they're just standing and they're watching. But as they're watching and listening, they overhear God curse the Satan, curse Satan and say these words in Genesis 3, um, 15. He says, I will put enmity, hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And Eve is hearing this like, wait, I'm supposed to die, but I'm also supposed to have offspring now, right? It's good news. Well, I'm not going to die. And it says, and this offspring from the woman will bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. Woman is cursed with childbearing and pain in childbearing. The man, the ground is cursed. The man has to till the ground and work the ground. And so now they're enslaved and bondage to their sin. Who's going to save them? This one who will come from the woman. And that is the, the story of redemption. And the whole Bible is falling. The, the Bible isn't split in the Old Testament, like at the end of the Old Testament and New. Some people think that, like the Bible split. 
So you got the Old Testament and the New. Really, the Bible is split in Genesis 3, 15 and on. Because from there, as you read scripture, you're like, you're asking the question, okay, who is this one that is going to crush the head of that snake? Who is this snake crusher, man, king, guy, who's going to come, right? And you're following the story like, okay, that one dies, that person dies, King David, oh, he looks like it, but then he dies, right? Who is it? And so you're following the story of redemption until you get to Jesus. Jesus is the snake crusher. He is the promised king. And he crushes the head of the snake, right? But it says that, that he will bruise his heel. So he will crush his head, but he will bruise his heel. So it will come at a cost. And isn't that the cross? Jesus defeats the power of sin and death, but at a cost. He dies, but he rises again. And he's alive today. And one day he will come back and he will make all things right. So creation, fall, Jesus is our redemption, right? Through the cross. And then consummation is the idea of God making all things right. Restoring this world back to what it was supposed to be in Eden. Perfect. Good. And we get a picture of what this is supposed to look like in Revelation 21. I just want to read this to you. Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, that is the church, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. Now who's the bride? That's the church, Ephesians 5. Adorned for her husband. Who's the husband? That is Christ, Ephesians 5. And so there's this wedding ceremony. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So sin separated man from God in the garden. But now God is dwelling with man again in the new heavens and new earth. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's where everything is going. That's the good news. See, we're trying to do this like what uh, secular people are trying to do is they're trying to create a new heavens and new earth here and now through the metaverse and you know, social, war, uh, not warfare, uh, welfare, right? And all these, they're trying to create the new heavens and earth here, a virtual reality where we could escape. But what they're longing for is what only Jesus can provide and what will provide. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That's the whole story. That's the grand narrative, the grand story of 66 book, of the 66 book trilogy. And so where does First and Second Kings then fit into the story? And that leads to the second point, the good news in 1 Kings. So let's lower the hot air balloon down a little bit, right, into 1 Kings. What is book 11 about, 1 Kings? And what you'll see is in the immediate context of 1 Kings, it begins with the end of the reign of David. And we all know David was a good king. And so it starts with the transition from, of the throne to a young king, Solomon. Now, why is this such a key moment in the story? Because as I previously said, the people are longing for this snake crusher, this person to come, this figure. And like a mystery novel, hey, you guys like mystery novels? I used to read the Hardy Boys. You know what that is? You guys know that series? It's a great series, right? 
the Bible, the Old Testament is kind of like a mystery novel, and the New Testament is like, spoiler alert, kind of gives the clue or reveals the mystery, which is Christ. But all throughout the Old Testament, it kind of reads like a mystery novel. Who is this snake crusher? And throughout the Old Testament, there's these little clues, this little foreshadow uh, statements that kind of point and, and kind of create who this snake crusher is supposed to be. In Genesis 12, for example, we learn that this one, this Messiah, will come from the line of Abraham. And this offspring of Abraham will be a blessing to all the nations. Then at the end of Genesis, we learn that the snake crusher will be a mighty king from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49, 8 through 12. And this mighty king, what it says, will uphold righteousness and justice forever. So it will be a king that never dies. Then in Deuteronomy 17, the people are in the wilderness. They have no king. You got to see this. Actually, turn with me to Deuteronomy 17 because it is key to 1 Kings. Deuteronomy, it's in, it's in the Old Testament, fifth book of the Bible. They're in the wilderness. God is giving them the law. They have no king. They don't even have a land yet. They, they're not even in the promised land. Okay? And so the Bible's leaving these little clues. Deuteronomy 17, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. And what's very odd is as Moses is giving this law, they have no land, they have no king, they have no temple. He starts talking about God gives them laws concerning their own kings. Okay, what is that foreshadow? The fact that they're going to have a king, right? So what are the laws concerning the kings? It says, verse 14, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it, And then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he, the king, this is his rule for the king, the law for the king. Only he must not acquire horses for himself. Because that was like military strength. Think of tanks, okay? So the king is not allowed to acquire horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turns away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold, okay? So three Gs, girls, wait, no. Wait, gold, gals, and giddy up, okay? Those are the, th- those are the three things that the kings cannot, they, they can't break those laws. Why? Why can't they have giddy up horses? Because they're going to rely on the Lord to protect them, not military might. He must not have multiple gals. Must be a one-woman man. And can't acquire gold. Why? Because God will provide for them. God will be the one who provides. So those are, those are the three laws. That a king must uphold. Okay? That's really key. So Deuteronomy is pointing to the fact that there will be a king. We know that this will be a mighty king who will rule forever and ever. And this king cannot acquire gals, giddy up, and gold. All right? So God prepares for his people with this verse. So who will this king be? 
With obedience to these laws comes blessing, and with disobedience comes curses. This king has to obey the Lord. So who will be the king? In 2 Samuel, this mystery becomes even clearer when God in his grace makes a covenant with David. So now turn with me to 2 Samuel verse 7. Sorry, chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. So we know that this king will come from the line of Judah. We know it will be a son of Abraham. This king, whenever they appoint him, cannot acquire gals, gold, giddy up. David had multiple wives, right? So he's not the snake crusher. He failed. So will Solomon, all right? That's kind of the idea here. But 2 Samuel gives us a clue. God makes a covenant with David, and he kind of reveals this mystery a little bit more of who this person will be, who this promised king will be. Look at verse 12, 2 Samuel 7. In verses 8 through 11, God recounts with David all that he's done for him, how he's been a good father to him, how he's provided rest for him. And then he comes to verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. So we know now that this promised king will be from the line of David. And this offspring, who shall come from your body, that is your seed, your offspring, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men of other nations and with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, he was their first, the first king of Israel, whom I put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with these words and in accordance with the vision, Nathan spoke, Nathan was the prophet, spoke to David. So we know this promised king now will come from David. And whoever this is, if he obeys God's law, will establish the kingdom forever. And he won't die. That's what God promises. But as we saw in Deuteronomy 17, what are the three G's? <laughs> so does Solomon, is Solomon then the promised king? That's the question. Does he uphold God's law? Does he fulfill the Mosaic covenant? Does he lead the people in righteousness and justice? And whoever does that will be the promised king, will be the, will be the Messiah. And it wasn't David. It wasn't David. He failed. He sinned. He died. So is it going to be Solomon? And this leads us to some of the most important themes in 1 Kings. And the first thing that's applicable to you, I'm getting to you, is where the king goes so goes the people, okay? So where the king goes, whatever the king does, if he obeys God, so do the people. If he disobeys God, it affects the people, okay? So it's kind of like sports, okay? When you have your team on the field and one of the teammates commits a penalty, the whole team is penalized for it, right? So because of one man's actions, the rest are affected. Well, in the same way in the book of Kings, there's multiple kings after Solomon, the rise and fall of Solomon. We know it's not Solomon. Whatever they do, if they're righteous, the people follow. If they're not, the people follow. 
And so there's three things. The kings and the people, they must follow the prophets. God sends prophets. You got to obey God's word. So we're asking the question, does this king follow God's word? Then the kings must guard the temple worship from idolatry because idolatry leads to banishment, exile. And so does the king protect the temple worship, protect the worship from idolatry? Those are some questions you're going to ask. But where the king goes, so goes the people. If Aragorn dies, so do all the, all the sons of men. If Frodo dies, everyone, right? Kind of the idea. Where the king goes, so go the rest of the people. And so you already know, I gave the title away, The Rise and Fall of King Solomon, which means that he is not the promised king. He dies. He fails. He acquires much gold and many gals. 700 to be exact. And um, many horses as well. Many horses. He disobeys. He fails. And because of his failure, instead of glorifying God, he decides to live for himself and to glorify himself. And he leads the people into rampant idolatry. King Solomon became the king of his own life. He was no longer ruled by the commandments of God, by the word of God. But he relied on himself, his own pleasures, the world. And he looked to those things to bring satisfaction. That's the sad story. Riches gifted by God and wisdom, wisdom given by God. He's the wisest person who ever lived. Yet he uses it for his own pleasure. And we're going to see how that all plays out. Therefore, what happens in 1 Kings and 2 Kings? Because Solomon fails. All the people are led into rampant idolatry and actually the kingdom is divided. So now you have a tale of two kingdoms throughout the rest of First and Second Kings. And they're like, this king is raised up and then this king is raised up. And you're like, is, it, is he the promised one? No, he's not. Is he the promised? No, he has multiple wives. Is he the promised? No, he worships Baal. Is he the, no, he sacrifices his kid to the worship this idol. You know, they're like, they're just, they're just, it, that's all it is. It's really sad. It's, and you're asking the question, when is this Messiah going to come? It's a sad story in a nutshell. So how does it fit in the grand story? Because of the fall, because of sin, the people are led to, to worship the creature rather than the creator. And it leaves them with a whole Jesus-shaped hole in their heart, longing for a true king who will provide righteousness and justice and forgiveness and will lead them into... The promised land, who will lead them into the new heavens and new earth. And so the question of First Kings, and I have said it a hundred times, is who then is the promised king? And who is going to fix this problem of sin and idolatry? And when is God's kingdom going to be established forever? And how can I be a part of it? That's the question. That's why First Kings relates to you. We all need a king. We all have a king. And this leads to the last point, which is the good news for me. The good news for you. So let's lower the hot air balloon on the ground level. How does this story of 1 Kings, of idolatry, of obeying the law, disobeying it, relate to you and me? How does it not, is a better question. (laughs) Because like King Solomon, we were created by God for his glory. And he has given each and every one of us talents and gifts to use for him. We're all worshipers. We're all called to obey and to, and to live for him, to worship him. But just like King Solomon, 
Because of sin and idolatry, we frequently take the things that God gives us to worship Him, and we worship the things rather than the Creator. And just like King Solomon, he had all the money in the world so he could have everything at the, at the snap of a finger. I want sex, I get sex. I want food, I get food. I want friends, I get friends from all the nations. I want gold, I, mean, I want a house, I'll build it. Instant gratification. He just wants it. And isn't that true of our culture today? Whatever you want at your fingertips right here, it sits in your pocket. If you don't get it, you'll send to get it. That's idolatry. We're all idols. Our, our hearts are a factory of idols. We're always making idols in our hearts. Now, I'm not talking about little Buddha statues that you have in your room, all right? I don't think any of you probably have that, that you're worshiping. This carved image and you're bowing down to it. Now, I think modern people were like, that's kind of weird, okay? Even though people in the East, they still do that. So what are idols? Idols are the things in our life that control everything that we do. And like I said, how does First Kings relate to you? Each and every one of you have a king that rules your heart. And so the question is, is who is the king that rules your heart? Who or what is the king that rules your heart, that you obey, that you live for? Because where the king goes, whoever the king is of your heart, so you will follow. And if that king is not Jesus, it's anything that you name in this world, it will only lead to separation from God forever. It will only lead to sorrow and pain, which we're going to see. Idols are created things that we place our trust in rather than God for our hope, Happiness, significance, and security. The idol of relationships. If I don't have this, I'm just not going to be significant. I'm not going to be whole. The idol of marriage. I just, I just, if I, I need this so, so much, and I'll even sin to get it. I want it so bad. And if I don't have it, I'm going to be in despair. The idol of sports, right? Your whole life is consumed with sports, with trying to get better. Or, and that's not, these, some of these things are good. Relationships, marriage, sports, good things. But they control everything that you do. The way that you think, wh- why, why you can't sleep at night, how you dress. Uh, how about the idol of beauty? Why is it that so many people today have eating disorders? That's very sad. That's heartbreaking. It's because they've, they've made beauty. And girls, this is true of so many women today. They've made beauty and the outward appearance in our culture the ultimate thing. And if they don't have it, or if they see someone else that has it, it leads them to despair. And so they harm themselves in order to gain that or to feel significant in themselves. It's an idol. It controls you. The idol of sex. We have it at our fingertips. Since you won't have the real thing, then you have pornography. The idol of money. The idol of politics. You're just stricken with fear of what happens. Oh no. Right? Or the idol of autonomy. I mean, our culture loves, you need to be free and liberated. Women, you need to be, you know, you, need, you, you can't let anything, especially the patriarchy, hold you down. And what is that idol of autonomy, what, you know, what has that led to? The free abortion of, of the slaughter of babies. That's what that idolatry has led to. It's pretty wicked. It's just like King Solomon. It's just like the idols in, in First and Second Kings where they sacrificed their children to Baal. We do that for the sake of autonomy today. We are all controlled by what we worship. 
And that's what 1 Kings is all about, really. King Solomon is controlled by what he worships. He will either worship God or he will worship the created things. And this is an obvious problem in society. I just put my finger on all those things, maybe some things that you're struggling with tonight. And just like the story of 1 Kings, how it just ends sadly with who is this king? So, even tonight, you've got to ask, okay, how, what's the solution? Who is the king that can save us from our own sin and misery? Who is it? Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Who is this promised king from the line of Judah, from the line of David, who will rule forever and ever? Luke chapter 1. What is the good news of 1 Kings? What's the gospel according to 1 Kings? And the gospel for you tonight, the good news for you, for all of us sinners. Centuries later, this is the good news, that centuries later, as the story of redemption unfolds, we find God sending his servant Gabriel, an angel, to a 13-year-old virgin. This woman, no one knows who this is. She's a no-namer to an obscure city in Nazareth to deliver a message. And what does it say in Luke 1, verse 27? Or verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph and of the house of David. Okay, the line of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God, here it is, will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And at the start of Jesus' ministry, in Mark chapter 1, the first sermon he preaches, the first thing that he says, this new king, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. How do you enter into that kingdom? Jesus says, repent of your sin and believe the good news about me. Believe the good news of the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus is the promised king and he came, he lived, he died, he resurrected and he's coming again. And you can have that relationship with him today by faith. You can have forgiveness today, tonight. And the little kings in your life, all those little kings that promise to provide only what Jesus can, you could shun those things, run from those things, repent of those things, and come and embrace the true king. And enter into fellowship tonight for the first time. And be ruled and come under his rule. And it's a loving rule. It's a good rule. And he's a good king. And then we have Revelation 21 to look forward to when he makes all things new. That creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. That's how 1 Kings, that's the message of 1 Kings. It's all about Jesus. And the message ends with Jesus' words. Are you within the kingdom? If not, repent and believe. And if you are, then rejoice. Rejoice that you have a great king who, who, who rules and governs us who you have a relationship with right now you have access to it's amazing let's pray father god thank you so much for the message of first kings i'm so excited to jump into it even this next week to jump into the weeds of it but 
just to give this overarching view of how good you are in the story of the Bible and how awesome it is. It is an epic story. It is filled with so much drama and, and, and our mess and our brokenness and sin, but it provides a solution and a king and a king that we all need. I pray that each and every one of our hearts will be ruled by that king. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.